You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here and welcome to Family Sunday. We're going to take communion right after this is over with. I believe we've got a word for you. Um, and, and it's all about structures. Um, structures are basically a structure of a thing is like the scaffolding upon which the thing exists. It's like why we call it a building a structure is because the facade we see is held together by a structure beneath it that we cannot see. Now, we can see some general ideas of, okay, there's a wall and all that, but we can't see what's going on internally. So here's a couple of ways to think about structures. Um, One of those is language. Um, Is there a kid in here that knows what a Tesla truck is? If if you know what it is, just yell out. A Tesla truck is what? What did he say, electric truck? Yeah, cyber truck. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, got my drummer back there. What's up, bro? It's an electric truck, right? Okay, so here's, here's the thing. As a kid, as a kid, and as you, as you grow up, to know what that is, you have to have a structure of language so that you can understand it. Okay, so here's how it goes. As a kid, you learn what a car is. Probably because your mom is yelling, get in the car, like 15 times. You know that a car takes you to the playground, it takes you to school, it takes you to McDonald's, it takes us to the burrito right after service, and no, I'm not getting endorsement deals from burrito, and I should be. Um, but then you learn truck. <coughs> now, I'm fully aware that in, in, in South you know, Houston area, in the North Houston area and Southeast Texas, that you probably learn truck first, because by God, we drive trucks, you know what I'm saying? So vice versa, though, what happens is that you begin to differentiate between a car and a truck. You learn some differences. The truck has a bed where a car has a trunk, et cetera, et cetera. But as you grow, you begin to develop these differences, and you grow your language because the initial structure that you learn of what a car is is being built upon to get you to what a truck is. And then you get more advanced. And so rather than it just being a car as the base of the structure, you realize you can recategorize cars into broader headings of vehicles. <coughs> there are passenger vehicles. There's that lane that we all want to take called the hub lane, high occupancy vehicles. There's mass transit vehicles. There's work-related vehicles like big rigs and even electric trucks like the Cybertruck, the Tesla truck. For you to identify effectively and use that in real life, you have to have a structure. And here's the thing is you don't even think about it. You don't even think about it anymore. When you see a, a, a cyber truck, you don't say car, truck, passenger, work, gas, electric. It's a cyber truck. You don't do that. And if you do, can we talk afterwards? We need to talk about some things. In East Texas, at least you go, electric truck. <laughs> I wonder how much it'll haul. You know, I guess. <laughs> no pansy electric truck. 200 miles and in what? A diesel generator, by God. <laughs> I have to know my people group. I'm in the petrochemical industry down here. But, but hear this. Now, this is why this is important. It's because your entire life is built like this. Everything in your life is. Everything you've learned up to this point has been dependent on structures of learning and experience that have allowed you to survive up until this point. These are structures that you've learned, and they're structures that you've leaned on since you were born. That's why whenever you get into certain situations, you have these initial reactions to those situations because you've learned that when X, Y, Z happens, you finna get ready for ABC. That's why. So when somebody says something to you, 
what was it earlier? Somebody said, try Jesus, not these hands. You know what I'm saying? Like you get into these moments where you get in fight or flight mode. It's because you have a structure. But how you see God, y'all just, some of y'all just got that, huh? All right. But here's the thing. How you see God is dependent upon these structures. I read a verse a minute ago, Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way they should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a great verse. But here's the thing. You can only train somebody up in what you know. It's very difficult to tell people to go somewhere that you've never been. Here's the thing, though, is your structures and your dependence upon those structures will be replicated in your children. Okay? They're going to be replicated in your kids. So, here's the question. How good are your structures? How good are your structures? Here's here's one more. Um, How godly are your structures? You see, we can have good structures, but they can not be godly. So here's a second way to look at it. First was language. The second was buildings. Um, To have a good building, you have to start with a good foundation. Now, if the foundation is compromised, if it's bad, then the whole structure is compromised. The whole structure is bad. Um, There's a great verse where Jesus tells us in um, Matthew 7 about a, a structure. And so we'll pop that on the screen here for you. Here's what it says, starting in verse 24. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here's the thing, you can't see the structure of a building, you can really only see the facade. And can I meddle a little? You can't really see the structure of your life, you can only see the facade. Now, here's the thing though, at some point, the facade is going to reveal what the structure looks like on the inside. And if there's a problem, you're going to be able to see it. See, sheetrock and paint are designed to make a house look pretty, but they are also very effective at hiding the structure, kind of like we do when we come into church sometimes. And, and, and you know, the, the, the big loophole in accountability is simply this. Hey, man, how are you doing? Great, bro. Oh, that's awesome. Top of the world, man. Like, no, knowing deep down you are struggling and you're hurting and you're broken and you don't know what to do. So, so you have to make a decision whether you're going to get painted up and get your sheetrock fixed on Saturday night and come to church making everybody believe that you're okay, knowing that deep inside there are termites in your structure that are compromising your life. Or you can come in and say to somebody, listen, I need some help. You can have beautiful walls and terrible framing. The walls, however, at some point will always reveal the truth. How? It's easy. A storm comes, man. Storms. Storms always reveal what the walls are trying to hide. And if your house is built on a solid foundation with solid framing, it's going to withstand the storm. But life has a way of testing, the de- uh, determining the durability of a structure. Can you relate to that in your own life? Do you have situations and experiences in your own life where you know that these, these, these storms have been coming against you and you feel they're shaking and you feel like they're testing, you don't know how to respond to it? Well, let me encourage you at least in this, just off notes. You ought to be glad whenever a storm comes. You ought to be glad because what God is doing is he's giving you the opportunity to evaluate the strength of your structure so that you can create some, some additional structure and beef up that building because there's a storm coming next that would destroy you if you didn't have the storm that you're in right now come on i need you to hear me 
the mess that you're in right now, God is not trying to kill you. He's trying to beef up your structure because a monsoon is on the horizon. And we can get so angry at God. What are you doing up there, man? You snap your finger and fix everything. But what God's trying to say to you is, listen, you trust me with eternity. How about you trust me with tomorrow? I see a storm on the horizon that you have no clue about. God knows what's about to happen next week and in a month and in a year. And God knows that where you're standing right now and you think everything's fine, that in a few months you're going to be going like, I don't know what in the world I was thinking. I thought everything was fine. Now everything's crazy. What's God doing? He's helping you strengthen your structure so that you can endure the storm. God doesn't send storms to destroy you. He sends storms to make you better so that you're perfect and complete and lacking nothing. That's what the Bible teaches us. So here's a, a word for some of you. You're in that place today. You've been in a storm and you've been tested and the storm is raging and, and the walls are shaking. Your, your durability is being tested like never before. So here's what I want you to do. Don't get mad at God. First, thank Him that He's giving you the opportunity to strengthen. But the second thing is just ask yourself a question. How is your structure? See, a storm will force you to evaluate what's really going on in your house. You ever had a storm come through, and the first thing after the storm, like a hurricane comes through, the first thing, what do you do? You assess the damage, don't you? We're really bad at assessing damage in our own lives. And you know why? It's because we'd rather see pretty sheetrock and paint. We would rather everything look okay than to deal with what's really the problem. Can I just... I know this is, I know it's family Sunday, I'm supposed to be nice. But let me just tell you, at some point, at some point it's going to come crashing down. So take the opportunity right now to strengthen, to get better. I believe there are three main areas where structure matters the most, and so we're going to talk about those today in the time that we have left. The first one is simply this, structure matters with God. Structure matters with God. Ephesians 2 19 through 22 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So look at the language here. Look at it. It's building. uh, It's built up. It's joined together. It's structure. Hey, you know what? You're in a construction process right now. You are. You don't have to tell me. I've got boards and two by fours laying everywhere in my life. I don't know what's going on. You're in a construction process. And you know what? Just like I-10, it's never going to stop. There's never going to be a day when I-10 is not being constructed upon. Two 2,700-mile road, no. And you know something? Until you get to heaven, you're going to be in a construction process. So let me tell you, in that process, don't be upset when you feel like you just can't get everything together. There are moments when you're building something where it's just a mess laying all on the ground. And at some point, you're going to see a house completely fully formed that you can live in. But listen, there is somebody in that process that has the layout and has the blueprints and has the plan. And if you will simply submit to the one that's got the blueprint, you're going to find yourself living a house later. But if you're out there, just, okay, well, this two by four goes where now? And like, oh my goodness, where does the copper go? Like, uh, you're going to... You're going to fail. And some of us are running around in our lives right now trying to put two-by-fours together rather than letting the constructor construct our lives. We've got to let Jesus build. But here's my point here today in this is that 
it's, it's not that you're a structure being built up, but that your relationship with God is based on a specific structure that you've developed through learning your environment and your experience over the course of your life. The, the Bible says here that the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. What is that? Well, that's Jesus Christ. Just Jesus Christ, the word of God. Now, here's, here's the problem is, is if we talk about God as a father, if you had a really bad father, it's going to be very difficult for you to see God as your father. Why? Because your experiences tell you he ain't a good dad. I didn't have a good dad, so he probably ain't a good dad. So what do we do when our structures are not godly structures? When you have a hard time seeing God for who he really is. Maybe your dad is angry and yells, and so you think God is angry and it's going to yell. Or maybe your mom, um, she's there, but she's always on TikTok. Like, I ain't looking nowhere. I'm just looking down. Um, and you're trying to show her, look at this picture I drew for you, but she can't even pause the TikTok to look at it. I'm, I'm going to hit y'all hard today. I'm sorry. I'm going to be meddling. I feel a little medley today. You know what I'm saying? But how do we fix these structures? Well, the Bible in this verse says that Jesus is our cornerstone. So if we're going to do this, I have a few things that I want to share you about this. Um, the first thing, if you want a solid framework in your relationship with God, it's going to take having your life grounded in Jesus Christ. He's the way, not ours. He's the truth, not what we think. He's the life, not our feeble attempt at life. So here's the question. Is Jesus at the center of your decision-making processes or not? A lot of times what we do is we allow our emotions and our circumstances dictate our decision-making process. Am I the only one that has a problem with, uh, let, boy, let somebody say something to me at the grocery store or something like that, and that mm, comes up in you. Come on. Or let your kid, um, let your kid uh, drop a phone that you let him play, and it breaks in a million pieces. Like, come on, man. Like, or how about this? Hey, son, clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. <laughs> Jesus better come now. It's like, <laughs> I understood that moment when God was like wanting to kill all the Israelites. And Moses was like, whoa, 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 hold, whoa, hold on a second now. Come on. Do you ever let your emotions run things? Do you ever let your emotions decide something? Let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? It's tragic. But here's the thing. Emotions and circumstances are our way, our truth, and our life. But they only are the wrong way, non-truth, and they bring death. We find the real truth in the Word of God. What does John 1, 1 say? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Who is that? Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm asking you. Are you grounded in Jesus Christ? Now, again, here we go with one of these churchy sayings. Oh, we'll get a hedge of protection. What is that even? I'm going to have like a azalea bushes around me keeping the devil away? What is going on here? What does it mean to be grounded in Jesus? Okay, let me, let me ask it to you like this. I have it written down here for you. Are you believing what the Bible says about your situations or are you believing what your emotions are saying? Is Jesus really your foundation? Is he your foundation on Monday when you walk into your office and the last thing you want to do is sit to that, next to that person at your cubicle all day long because you know it's going to take every ounce of the Holy Ghost in this house to get me through Monday? Or what about on Thursday afternoon when you've had a really tough week because of the crazy economy that we're in and you know you've got to make payroll on Friday and you're thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? Is Jesus still the leader of your thought making decisions then? What about when you get home and you've worked all day long and you're tired and your wife goes in at you? Just, I know that never happens in here. I know. Or, or, or ladies, what about this? Your man gets home from working, and all he wants to do is sit in the recliner and not talk to anybody. 
I told you, I ain't taking no prisoners today, baby. We all going to Alcatraz, Jesus. Is he really your foundation? If he isn't the cornerstone, then what is and why? Look, I'm asking you to identify your idols today, folks. That's what we're doing here. What are you worshiping more than Jesus? So the first thing is you have to be grounded. The, the second part of this is if you want solid framework for your relationship with God, you have to be being built together with the family of God. Here's the thing. Christianity is about 20% individual and about 80% familial. There are definitely things that you're going to have to do on an individual level. You have to take responsibility for your relationship with God. You have to confess him as Lord. We can't do that for you. You have to confess your sin. I can't do that for you. I cannot forgive your sin. That's all on him, okay? Um, I can help you in the healing process because James says that while we go to Jesus for forgiveness, that we come to people for healing. Come on, somebody. Um, But you have to be actively engaged in pursuing God for yourself. I can lead you to the trough, but if I hold your head under the water water and you refuse to drink, at some point you're going to ingest it, but it's going to go down the wrong pipe and you're going to die. So at some point you've got to take responsibility for your relationship with Jesus Christ. But the majority of what needs to be addressed adjusted and altered and even encouraged in your life is going to come through the family christianity is not a solo sport and whoever told you that lied to you fam it's not lived to be meant to it's not meant to be lived alone and that's great news because i don't know about you i'm terrible by myself i make some really dumb decisions by myself you hear what i'm saying like and if i'm the only one that thinks through a situation and i don't actually go to somebody else and say hey what do you think about this It's going to be a complete failure. But that can also be the worst part. Because Christians are messed up too, aren't they? Don't look around nowhere. Y'all know a messed up Christian? Husband, you better not point to your wife. Y'all going to have bigger problems than Jesus needing to correct some stuff. No. But but let's, let's be honest with ourselves here. Here's the thing. If I'm under construction, is it safe to reason that you're under construction too? And so I have to be very careful that I don't burn down your building because you smacked yourself on your thumb and took it out of me because of the proximity. I have to realize that you're in a process as well. And maybe you have a week where you've gotten a whole room finished, but maybe you had a week where you've been walking around all day long looking for the two by four you lost. Or the hammer you can't find. Or your tape measure broke in the middle. Like there's a lot that could be going on in your life. And as Tony preached about a few weeks back, if we'll have just a little bit of compassion for people, it might change how we respond to people. But Christians can hurt you. Family is the one that's going to hurt you the most. But here's the thing, guys, and this is the God's honest truth. If you let how somebody hurt you in the church change your relationship with Jesus, then I need to refer you back to the original question I asked is if Jesus isn't the cornerstone, why not? Because what happens whenever we allow somebody else to impact us so much that it affects our relationship with Jesus Christ and his family, then that means that we had an idol that needed to be dealt with. See, your structure was bad and you just had some really pretty sheetrock going it. The third part is if you want solid framework for your relationship with God, it's going to take being led by the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, we see some of the fruit of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and a few more that I didn't mention because it's Family Sunday. And then there's some fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you have list one, you're not being led by the Spirit. If you have list two, you are being led by the Spirit. And if you want to be led by the Spirit, or if you want the opportunity to allow Him to do that, then we can't really get to that today just because we have a lot to get to the rest of it. But here's what I want you to do. He's going to put up a, a screen right now. It's, we have this class here called Empower. This is our next step class. So typically, if you come here and you're like, man, the Lord is calling us to be a part of this church. This is our home. Then you can go to this website, um, freedomdl.com slash empower. And there's, a, there's four videos there. And they're about 15 minutes each that'll take you through um, just some things like about Freedom Church, about um, we do a, like a gifts assessment and a, like a personality profile to figure out how you're made. And yes, we do the Enneagram too for all you millennials. Um, I'm an eight, you know, whatever. Um, so um, and, and then you have the opportunity to look at some some serving positions and stuff like that. Uh, but the second week or the second class, I should say, is uh, Spirit Empowered Living. How to literally be led by the Holy Spirit. And so. While we can't go in that today, uh, here's a little life hack that I want to give you. Um, It's this. Let your emotional response be to invite the Holy Spirit to lead you rather than lashing out in your emotion. So if I sent a text, for instance, to my mom right now, it would go, bing, because she probably didn't have it on silent. Do you have it on silent? Oh, look at her. Jesus, praise the Lord. (laughs) I put my phone on silent. You know, like that. She got it. Okay, so, so, but what would happen is she would get the notification and she would look and she would respond to the notification, to, to what was written in the notification. The, notica- no, the notification itself was just an alert to let her know you need to take some action. So what about the next time you get angry? Instead of lashing out, you just realize that that's an alert that what I need to do next is I need to tap into the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me understand why I'm mad right now and you better, you better put me in a headlock or something because I'm, I'm about to go to work. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Come on. Let, let this be an opportunity uh, for the Holy Spirit to lead you. Okay, here's the second part. Uh, uh, structures matter with God. Structures matter in relationships. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. Um, I'm going to pass by this quick, but it is important. You do need to have structure in your relationship. Now, there's a phrase that we use a lot here. It's this. Love, you need to find somebody that, that loves God, loves you, knows God, knows you, and has your best interests in mind. We say it a ton. In fact, that last one is really one of the most important parts. Because here's the thing. Not everybody has these things in mind when it comes to you. So what does that mean? That means you need people, but you need structure too. Not everybody gets to get inside of the castle. You hear what I'm saying? It's okay. Now hear me because I'm probably going to have to fist fight with somebody. Later on. It's okay to set up some boundaries with certain people in your life. If all they're doing is bring, bringing toxicity, but I can reach them. Okay, I hear you. But let me just tell you, it's a whole lot easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. And maybe if you have tried and tried and tried and you're not getting through and you're continuing to experience toxicity, maybe you ain't the one God's going to use to bring them to the light. So I'm trying to tell you, it's okay to put about now. That doesn't mean you get to treat them badly, to treat them mean, to call them names. You need to treat them like Jesus treated you before you said yes to him. But you can put up some boundaries and say, listen, there's some things that we are going to do and we're not going to do. We'll do this with our mental health, won't we? We'll do this with our physical health. Boy, the doctor says, hey, you about to catch diabetes. We're going to stop eating sugar, eat them, just whatever. It is. That's, that's what we do. We change our diet. Hey, your heart's messing up. Okay, what can I do to fix it? Stop eating French fries all day long. But have you had a French fry? No, it's just, we, we, train, we change things. How come we won't do that spiritually? Um, when things go south in your life, what relationships do you run to? 
if you don't have a series of next steps when things go bad, you need to get it right now. Okay, well, so for me, for instance, for me, if I'm experiencing something that I, I realize I cannot do by myself, I'll tap in first to Jesus, and then second, my wife, and then third, my parents. Did I put it on the screen? Look at that. Um, some local bros. What's up, men's group? Yeah, all right. Um, so we have our elders and our lead team that I can talk to. We talk to our board of directors as well. Um, my pastors, so uh, Chuck Warnock and Stephen Warnock are, are my pastors in, at New Covenant. And there have been plenty of times when I'm like, <laughs> y'all, this is crazy. Can you help me? Can you help me explain what's going on here? And I reach out to them. And then I have a network called the Next Level Relational Network that I'm a part of. It's about 1,000 pastors all over the United States and Canada. And I have about 12 guys that are in my brotherhood group that at any moment I can send them a message and say, hey, I'm struggling. Will y'all pray for me? And beyond like, hey, praying for you, brother, I'll get a phone call that says, tell me what's going on. Let's talk through it. Let's figure out how we can get this happening. You need this. But here's the problem. If you don't have something like this, whenever stuff starts hitting the fan, you're going to be so frazzled that you're not going to think, oh, I've got to find someone. Who can I talk to? Who can I talk to? No, you're going to be stressing. So go ahead and have it organized. Okay, so what is the right relational structure? I'm going to say this and we're going to move to the third one. The right relational structure is this. God first, then your spouse then your kids, then your, uh, your, your family, friends, everyone else. So here's how we say it right here. If you're nothing with God, you can be nothing for your spouse. If you're nothing with your spouse, you can be nothing for your family. If you're nothing with your family, you can be nothing for your friends. If you're nothing with your friends, you can be nothing to anyone else. This is true. I told this to a, a friend of mine in Africa when I was in Rwanda. And he looked at me and he said, yes, but, but my family and friends understand that I have to work. No, they don't. So here's the last one we're going to talk about is family. Structure matters in family. There is a godly structure in family. Now, I don't want to hear anything from the men right now. Just y'all be quiet for just a second. You're explain, you're, I'm going to explain why. Ephesians 5, 23-24. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Stop right there, guys. Don't. <laughs> submit women. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, for his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, and so wives should submit to, uh, should submit in everything to their husbands. <laughs> like guys, like don't even think about looking at your wife right now. No elbowing. But let me be mean to you for a second with love in my heart for you. You men are the spiritual head of your house. You're the spiritual head of your house. It does not mean that you are arrogant and domineering to your wife. It doesn't mean that she's your slave or your underling. Give me a drink, woman. That's not what that means. You are both equal. But the spiritual leadership of the home is on your shoulders. That means that you set the tone for spirituality in your family. So what you want to see in your house, fellas, it begins with you, not your wife. Don't make your wife say, we're going to have prayer time right now. Men, come on. Let's be godly men and lead our families in the way they should be led. That's what we've got to do. If you're not the spiritual leader in your home, what you're doing is you're putting a burden on your wife that's not fair because it wasn't built for them. Don't do a disservice to your family by burdening them with the weight that God made your shoulders to carry, boys. Come on. We're supposed to be leading our family. Have you seen the statistics of what happens whenever the kid comes to Christ first, and the mom comes to Christ first, and then the man comes to Christ first? 
It's amazing. Like with kid, it's less than 10%. With the woman, it's about 20%. But when men come to Jesus first, it's 92% of households are changed. So what's that tell you? Men, step up and fulfill your role in the structure. Fulfill your role. Well, I don't know how to do that. Have you reached out to another man that seems to be leading his home well? Have you stopped by men's group? I'm telling you what, I, I've, been a, I've been a Christian since I was five years old. I'm 42 now. Math is hard. 37 years. I've been a pastor for 25 years. Been ordained for a ton of years. Seven years of Bible college. I learn every single week at men's group. Why? It's because I hear what they're going through. And sometimes the stuff that I'm encouraging them with, I'm like, oh, snap, I needed to hear that. And sometimes they'll say something that encourages me. It's the iron sharpening iron, and it's teaching us how to lead our families well. Boys, come on. You understand what's going wrong in our culture right now? It's fatherlessness. It's broken homes. But I want to I stop right now and talk to these single family homes, single parent homes, especially you moms. I want you to know that while God designed the man to carry the weight of that spiritual leadership, that God gives grace and gives you the ability to walk in that role in your specific situation. So you don't feel for a second that you are incapable of leading in that role in the midst of your singleness right now. God knows what you have need of. He knows what you have need of. So you single moms, don't stress. God's got you. But I'm going to tell you men, like I, I have just such a heart to see men step up and be who you need to be. Ephesians 5, 25-29. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed... You know what? I need to stop because I missed a word. And gave himself up for her. I, it's weird. I just really got convicted about that right now. Gave himself up for her. And the reason I did is because as I read it, what I heard in my head was that, men, you have to be willing to give up what you want in that moment so that you can supply for your family. We got, we got, a, we got a, just a, a pattern in America right now, especially of selfishness, that's not okay. Now, I'm not saying be trampled on every single day. That's indicative of a problem as well. But let's, let's do for others as we have them do it for us. Amen? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any, or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now listen boys, as our wives submit to us, we have to submit to Jesus. But can I tell you, they have it a little bit rougher than we have it. Why? Because we submit to somebody who's perfect and is always going to respond the right way. And she got to submit to you, baby. I mean, that's what she gets. <laughs> okay? So have a little bit of, of compassion when you're interacting with your spouse, knowing that she got to submit to your flaw, Rarian. You know what I'm saying? Like, love you, but it's true. I'm Poor Monique. Anyway, um, Man, if you will spend as much time cherishing your spouse as you do wishing she would submit, you'll find that her submission will come easier because she has something worth submitting to. Ooh, you ladies. I'm going to get so many high fives on the way out from the women. But, but I'm, I'm serious. I'm ready to see. I'm going to get punched by the men. Thank you, Tony. Um, <laughs> look, I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to bust on you. I'm telling you this because I want to see your family succeed, man. I want to see you get over the generational hurdles that you walked into this building with. I'm ready to see all those patterns that you grew up with be torn down. 
well, that's how my daddy was and that's how I am. No, that's not how you're going to be. That's just how our family is. No, it's not. You create the culture in your family that honors God and forget what everybody else thinks about it. There's some healthy boundaries. We're going to live for the Lord. We're going to honor the Lord. And our family culture is going to be one of generosity and compassion and love. We're going to be led by the Spirit. Well, that's not how we do it. Then fine. I'm going to do what God's told me to do. Because here's the thing. When you get to heaven, God ain't going to ask you how you lived according to the family. He's going to say, how did you live according to what I told you to do? And let me just, man, I'm just, I need to move on. But let me just lastly say this. The power and the authority is inside of you to break those chains. By the, power of the, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, you have the power to break those, those generational iniquities. Because I, I know you can hear some of this and you think, man, I'm just, I'm hopeless. Like, I don't know how in the world I can do that. How can I, how can I? It's inside of you. But, but, but it may take somebody else coming alongside of you and teaching you how to war in the spirit. That's what that battle book out there is all about. It's teaching you how to fight the enemy. You fight from a place of victory, not defeat. Your prayers come from victory, not defeat. Not God, I hope you work things out. But in the name of Jesus, I'm standing on the word of God and I'm going to see health and victory in my family. I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm talking about standing on the word and letting God fight. Don't forget, you ain't David facing Goliath. You're the scared Israelite on the side of the mountain. Jesus has fought the battle and won for you. It's time we walk in that. Ephesians 5.33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men, women crave security. So when you make her feel insecure, it creates problems. So if you are a spender and you blow your check on stuff that's silly, or, or if you refuse to tell her stuff, just like you, you're secretive about stuff, it makes her feel insecure. But listen up, women, men need respect. And whenever they feel like they're disrespected, it makes, them, it makes it very difficult. Like, it, it, it hurts intimacy. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about even asexual intimacy. Like, it hurts that intimacy. Well, how come he don't ever hug me? Do you respect him? Do you show him that you respect him? Well, she don't ever want to do anything with you. Are you creating security in her life? I mean, you may think that's not spiritual, but my goodness, a healthy relationship is very spiritual. And sometimes you have to do stuff that doesn't seem spiritual to make sure everything works out. Now, I'm not going to get rid of these kids, though, first. Say, I got, I'm going to talk to y'all, too, for a second, kids. Ooh, come on, parents. I'm about to hear some shouting from y'all. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, ha, obey your parents in the Lord. Ha. Come on, parents. Yes. All these kids look at me like I'm going to punch you. I'm going to get beat up today on the way out. I'm just going to go to burrito by myself today, I think. Children, obey your parents. Why? 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 Because it's the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's what the Bible says. It'll go well with you. Kids, I'm going to give you a real big life hack right here. This is really, really important. If you want to live your best life, let obedience be something that you cling to. If you obey the first time, it's going to bring pleasure in your parents' hearts towards you. Obedience has to be taught and worked into a kid. Disobedience is what's inborn. But here's the thing, parents. Listen to me now. It's impossible to teach obedience if your kid is the star of the show. It's, I'll say it again. Just y'all don't throw nothing at me. 
it's impossible to teach obedience if your kid is the star of the show. Hey, little junior, clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. Okay, whatever you want, man. <laughs> you never, that kid will not obey. Now listen to this one. Fathers and mothers, your spouse should have priority over your children. Your kids are with you for 18 years. Your spouse is a lifelong commitment. I don't know. I know some of y'all got kids that still live with y'all. It's okay. We'll pray, pray through that. I feel like some deliverance is going to happen today. Uh, but but here's, here's the point I'm making. Don't get to a place where your kids graduate and then you look across the table one morning at a person you don't know because your kids got all the attention. Parents, do you want to know the best thing that you can give your kids? The best thing is a healthy marriage. Statistically, you can't argue with it. Lead a good marriage. So how do we structure our family? Well, first things first, you and Jesus, and then you and your spouse, you and your kids, everything else. And this is a non-negotiable. Um, I wrote here something that a little bit more meddling, and then I'm going to tell you about modeling for a second, but... If they can hit a baseball better than they can find a verse to speak into a problem they're having, then what we're doing is teaching them a structure that faith is not as important. Look, I love baseball, and I played it for a long time, and I, I still love baseball. If I could be playing baseball right now, like literally at 12, 10 p.m. to right now, if I could go play baseball, I'd go play it because I just I love, I love the game. But my parents did not teach me how to be a good baseball player. They taught me how to follow the Lord. And there were times where I was a bonehead at it. And at times when I was a, a, a little knucklehead and did my own thing. And they got to a place in my life where they stopped telling me what to do. And they started giving me options. And they allowed me to make the decision. Fathers, mothers, give your kids the opportunity to choose the right thing. Because when you do that, they're going to be in a situation where they're not with you. And they're going to learn the process. How do I make a good decision on what to do? Don't wait until your kid is 18 to teach them what you should have told them at 8. Modeling. Your kids will adopt 20% of what you say, but 120% of what you do. In relationships, we say be the kind of person that you want to be in a relationship, but in parenting, let me say it like this. Be the kind of person you want your kid to be. So if you see a behavior in your home and your kids, kids that you don't like, don't point a finger first. Go get a mirror first. Okay, we're talking about structures here. I didn't tell you all this stuff today, and I didn't beat on you today to bring you down or cause you to doubt yourself. I told you for two reasons. Number one, I need to hear it too because I'm not perfect either. I read something a few weeks back that said um, every leader is leading while they're bleeding. Man, that really hit me hard. I have struggles. <laughs> if you're not cut me, do not bleed. The Shylock over here or whatever. Like, I have, I have struggles too, but you know what? If I, if I didn't have structure in my life in these areas, I'd be lost. I'd, it'd be a waste. And so I'm telling you this because I need to hear it and also because there are storms coming. You, you need to make the decision today that you're going to fix these structures. So how are your structures? We just take a moment with you and bow your head. Bow your head. And the only reason I ask you to do this is just to, to make sure there are no distractions around you. 
Let me just ask you some questions here. With God, do you have a good handle on praying and digging in the Word? Are you actively pursuing God and being led by the Spirit? In, in your relationships, do you have a team you go to to be challenged and encouraged? And, and yes, to be challenged. You need the challenge. You need the encouragement and challenge both. Are you setting healthy boundaries but still putting yourself in a place where you can trust people? With your family, are you in the right order? God, spouse, kids, friends, everything else? Is your spouse priority over your kids? And are you modeling what you want to see in the family? Father, we come before you right now and um, we realize that in the midst of these three things, God, with you, with relationships and with family, uh, I know there are things that we need to get better at. And so, um, congregation, what I'd ask you to do in this moment right now is as the Holy Spirit is revealing a place maybe where you need to work on some stuff. Maybe maybe you're a man in here and you're like, I need to be a better spiritual leader. Or, or, or you know, maybe, maybe you're a mom in here and you say, you know what, I've given my kid a little bit too much control over what happens and I need to adjust that. Or maybe you're in your relationship with the Lord and, and you don't really have a good structure. And you need, to, you, need to think, you need to think differently about how you think about God and stop treating God based on the structure you learned from your bad dad and start treating him based on the structure that we find in the Word of God. God, whatever it is, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help, help this family, God. Help these people. Help me, God. God, where there's brokenness in the structure, I pray that you would bring healing to it right now in the name of Jesus. Where there's brokenness in marriages and relationships, God, I pray that you would heal it in the name of Jesus. Come on, church, I can't pray for you. You make your positions known to God and, and allow Him to meet your need right now. Wherever you feel like you're lacking in your structure, ask the Holy Spirit right now to help you. God, structures and buildings and building lives, it's hard, it's work. But God, we stand on the promise that you gave us in Proverbs 16, 3, that if we will commit our work to the Lord, Father, that our plans will be established. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, we commit our lives to you. Jesus, I commit myself to you. Come on, church, say it to him if you believe it, if you want to. Say, I commit my life to you, Jesus. I commit my family to you. My situations, my struggles, they're all yours, Jesus. They're all yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and his people to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.